Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning upstairs to the Well Cafe. Those of you up here, thanks for boating into church today. Uh, I hope you found a place to park your canoe or your kayak or your ark or whatever you brought with you today. Man, I feel like these are the really dedicated Jesus followers right here. Don't tell everybody else that's not here today, but I feel like everybody that's here at church today should get some extra points up in heaven somehow. I don't know. I'll talk to God about that. Uh, but I'm so glad you're here. It's such a great day to be in worship. What a, what a wonderful time of worship we've had in our many services that we've already had this week, uh, from Saturday night to 8.15, 9.30. Uh, the worship that was taking place up in the Well Cafe that I got to hear a little bit of, the worship that was taking place down here, and what's going on over in the, in the sanctuary. Just so much happening. So many people gathered today uh, to connect with God in, in prayer, uh, in singing together, uh, and also seeking out the wisdom of God's Word. And so we're excited to do that today. I'm glad you're here. If we haven't met before, my name is Johnny, and I serve as one of your pastors here at First Methodist Mansfield. And we're going to continue on a series today that we started last week called Declutter, one that we we're very excited about. Uh, one that we're going to, that we truly believe that there are many touch points for everybody. Almost everybody, if not actually everybody, can really connect um, with, the, with this topic and, and really find a place. Even though it touches you in a different way, we all find a way uh, to connect with this. And so we're hoping as we search the scriptures um, and as we investigate our own lives that we begin to, God reveals things to us uh, and we can begin to find real transformation and real peace and make some space for ourselves in this cluttered and chaotic world. So if you missed last week's sermon where we started off, uh, you can find all of our messages, including the last one, at firstmethodistmansfield.org slash media. You can catch up there. Uh, we also have a podcast on iTunes if that's your thing. So today uh, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. So if you brought your Bible with you, if you'd go ahead and turn there. Uh, if you didn't bring your Bible with you today, uh, we, we encourage everybody to bring their Bible with them, uh, the Bible that you would use in your study at home, the same one you bring to church so you can make notes to the side and underline and highlight. But if you didn't happen to bring one with you today, down here in the well, we have some in the seat in front of you underneath there, some blue Bibles. Upstairs in the well cafe, we have some on a shelf in the back of the room. Uh, so you can grab one of those. If you're using that blue Bible, uh, page 1615 is where you can find uh, Luke 10, 38 through 42. One of the remarkable things about this series is that, um, that sense that everybody can connect with this idea of living in a cluttered and chaotic world. That we all, in some ways, feel that pressure. We feel that clutter and and we, we long for peace, we long for clarity, we long for vitality in our souls, we long for all of these things, and we see that problem right in front of us. Clutter, what clutter does, whether it's just the clutter in your drawer, in a closet, or in a cabinet, or clutter in your life, clutter crowds out possibilities. That's the problem with clutter, is it crowds out possibilities because there's no room for anything new, anything fresh, anything that you actually want to have happen, there's not room for it. Think about it, if you have a closet full of just clutter and there's no room uh, for new clothes, for fresh clothes, for something new to happen in that closet, uh, it's because it's all cluttered up. And you have to get rid of the things that A, don't belong there, that don't belong there and just need to be dealt with, which is part of what makes up clutter, or we need to give attention to the things that do belong there. Because maybe they belong in that space, 
but we haven't given proper attention to them. So they take up more space than needed. They're, they're not in the right order. And so our clutter in our lives and in our homes is, is, is made up of things that A, either don't belong that we need to deal with, or B, belong but we need to give more attention to. And that's kind of what we're looking at uh, in our lives here. We all experience this. We all connect with this. We all know that there's a problem. We all know that there are resources to help us. There are books. There are classes uh, that we can do. Um, But we also know that it's not really getting all that better. It's not really getting all that better because books continue to be written. Uh, We continue to feel clutter in our lives. We continue to feel the pressure. We continue to feel unrest. We continue to long for transformation and change. So our goal for last week as we began this series was to really zero in on one insight that was going to undergird our entire series and also open us up to those possibilities of change and transformation. It was an insight that we can all connect with, and that way when we talk about these very specific things for the next few weeks, we can take that insight with us and help us find true change and transformation. So the first thing that we really looked at was that there is a real connection between our outer life, the, the clutter that we experience in our outer life, and the uh, disorder or the, um, the unrest that we feel in our inner life. We looked at that, and, and that's what a lot of these strategies and books and resources seek to address. But the other thing that we realized is that our, we have a false understanding that if we could simply fix those outer things... If we could really fix those outer things, address, you know, the financial pressure and the debt, uh, our financial clutter. If we could address our, uh, the clutter of our calendar and our, and our time, if we could address those things, if we could fix the outside, then the inside would start to feel better. We feel like it starts with the outside and then it will end on the inside. But as we looked at scripture, uh, we realized this very simple truth that our clutter problem is actually a soul problem. This was our insight, and we got this from Matthew chapter 12. When we look at the teaching of Jesus, and he was talking about the tree. If you were here, you remember. Uh, A good tree produces good fruit. Bad tree produces bad fruit. And really what we rested on there is that the the fruit, the outcome of our lives, the things that that our life produces, our outer life is important. It's very important. But that which we produce on the outside is actually a result of what's going on on the inside. To put that more simply, uh, if you were part of the Deeper Life with God series, uh, would be to say that life is lived from the inside out. In Jesus' metaphor of the tree, what he's trying to say is you could have the perfect environment, the ideal environment for growth and for vitality for a tree to produce good fruit. But if the soil is bad, if the inner workings of the tree is uh, in unrest, if it is not good, then the outcome will not be good. The fruit that is produced will not be good. And so we, f- we find that there is this interplay between outer and inner life, and both are important and both need our attention. But if we do one, if we do the outside without paying attention to the inside, then that clutter will continue to return time and time again. So today we're going to talk specifically about hurry, hurry, and the clutter and the chaos that comes from the hurry in our lives. I can say that word now, and people are already starting to feel their heart race a little bit. They're starting to connect with that a little bit. I understand what that feels like. I'm going to be really honest with you. I have struggled hardcore with this sermon for many reasons. The first is this, that there, when we talk about hurry, this is a myriad of things. Looking out in this room, and I know upstairs as well, 
at that mention of hurry, that there are a lot of contributing factors. There are a lot of things going on in the inside of us that contribute to a rushed and hurried feeling. And there is no way I could stand up here and begin to list all of those ways, all the complexities, all the nuance that goes into each and every person's life. There's no way I could do that. So I struggled because we, we need to talk about hurry in a very real and tangible way, but in a way that everybody can connect with it. So we tried to do that a little bit. And then the second reason that I struggled is that this hurry problem is very real to me. And so as I studied and as I prayed and, and as I wrote things, I found myself writing something and going, ow, I should do that. <laughs> you know? Like, that sounds really good. How am I living this out? So this is a very convicting thing for me to write, very vulnerable thing for me to write because I feel this and I struggle with this. And there's times where I do really well with it and there's times where I don't. And so know that I'm coming to you from that perspective as somebody who's not quite figured this out, but as somebody who's learning because this is a, this is a reality for me. Now we all, if you would, even if you wouldn't categorize your life as a hurried life, we all get it. We've been in a hurry before, right? You've woken up late for work and you had to rush. And what happens when you have to do that? There are certain things that have to get sacrificed on your way out the door, right? Could be hygiene. You could be like, ah, oh, well, I guess I don't really need to shower today. <laughs> like, I can't be late, right? So uh, they either get me brushing my teeth or I get to shower. They get one of the two of those things. And, the, you know, like, and they're lucky that I'm putting clothes on to get out there. Like you have to sacrifice because you're in a hurry. You're late. Like, so the things that you would have done to prepare for your day, you have to do less of those things to remain on schedule and on time. You're in a hurry. You're in traffic. You're honking at people. You're driving faster than you would have, right? You're getting more angry than you would have because you're late and all these people are dumb on the road and why can't they drive properly, right? Like, when you're in a hurry, the world is in your way, right? Especially on those days that you're running late. We've had hurried days, days that are just jam-packed, full of stuff, full of stuff that's supposed to be fun, um, but it can be not fun because you're trying to get it all in, right? This happens on major holidays, right? Like if you have a bunch of different families to visit, right? Like everybody's having a good old time, but like you're looking at the watch because like we got to get to grandma's house now in just a minute, so don't have too much fun, you know, don't eat too much because I don't want you to pee in the car on the way there, like we got to go. So like you're always in the next place, right? You've had those days, even if you wouldn't categorize your whole life as hurried. You've had hurried weeks, you've had busy seasons in your life where just it seems like every day is, is just something and you're just exhausted, but you know it'll end soon, it's just for a small period of time, and some people might categorize their whole life as hurried. Hurried happens because we just don't have enough time. And it happens for many reasons, but one of those is we don't have enough time. We overbook ourselves. We're overscheduled. We have too many things to do. There's so many things that we want to do. There's so many things that we feel like we're expected to do. If you have kids, you know this. Like, am I, are we playing enough sports? Are we in enough after-school programs? Are we doing enough tutoring? Are we, like, am I doing enough for my child? So I schedule all of these things, and we're running from thing to thing to thing, and we're hurried because we've overbooked ourselves. Sometimes hurry comes because we're undisciplined with our time. Our schedule might not be cluttered. Our calendar might not be cluttered, but we're just undisciplined with our time. We don't use our time wisely, and so we're always leaving late for things. We're always calling people and saying, hey, I'm just going to be a few minutes late. You know, we're always running late, and we're trying to get out the door, and, and us and our family all around us or whoever's around us is, is suffering our rage and our wrath as we are seeking to get out the door on time because we're running late. 
hurry just happens. And sometimes for people, it's none of those things. You just feel hurried and rushed. And you can't really pinpoint a reason why. You're, you're not that busy. You're pretty good with your time. But every moment just feels rushed. You feel an urgency. Hurry can show up in, in many ways and for many reasons. But hurry is not having enough time for our present, if we really want to define it that way. Hurry is not having enough time for the moment that I'm currently in. It's rushing through a current or a present moment in order to be in the next. Hurry is when you're unable to actually be present because you're looking beyond your current situation to the next one. We hurry because we really only have one life, right? There's not enough time in that life. We have a limited amount of time, and, and we don't get any of it back, so we got to fit in as much as possible. And this is probably why we hurry. We, we try to do so much and to fit in more and more and more in less and less less time. And our time is slipping away, and if, if we don't act fast, if we don't hurry and get it all in, we won't. But I think this is the great lie of hurry. This is the great lie that hurry tells us. Because when we hurry, we kind of falsely believe that we're actually adding time to our life. When we hurry, that we're actually getting the most out of our time. We're, we're optimizing the time that we have on earth. But in reality, when we hurry, instead of adding time to our life, we're actually rushing right past the very things that give us life. When we hurry, we're rushing past all of those things that really add to our life, that nourish our souls, that help us thrive. Namely, our earthly relationships, those that we're the closest to that really fill us up, and our relationship with God. These are the things that get rushed past in our attempt to hurry. Here's a convicting truth for me is that hurry actually diminishes our capacity to love. Hurry diminishes our capacity to love. It diminishes our capacity for grace, for mercy, for compassion. It diminishes our capacity for patience. How can you be patient when you're in a hurry, right? It diminishes our capacity for fun. You know this if you've ever been in a hurry. You understand. When you're in a hurry, at best, the things that are in front of you, the people that are around you get ignored, right? Because you, ha you have to move past them to the next thing. And at worst... They become resented because they're in the way. I've been in a hurry before and, and, and been trying to get my son ready and we have to get out the door and, you know, I overslept or I didn't manage my time well and we were in a hurry, we got to get going. And, and that thing that he usually does that I think is really cute when he puts his underwear on his head and, like, dances around and thinks it's really funny, right? Sorry, Charlie. <laughs> I think it's really funny and it's really cute and it's a, it's a, it's a precious moment where we could be playful but it's not cute because we're in a hurry. I can't have fun right now. There's no time for fun. We got to go. And so instead I'm frustrated and I get on to him and I have to get angry. And, and, and Charlie, how dare you not be an adult and manage your time wisely? I know I didn't do that, but I, you know, I need you to do that. I need you to be in my head and understand the urgency of the situation. Son, let's get going. I don't have time. I don't have any capacity for that because I'm in a hurry and I'm rushed. When we hurry, we falsely believe that we're adding more time to our life, but in reality, we're actually missing the very things that give us life. And when we do that, our soul can begin to dry up and begin to shrivel, and, and it's robbing us of nutrients. Hurry steals away those things that are most important to us that our soul needs 
John Ortberg wrote a book called Soul Keeping, and if you haven't read that before, I would love for you to do so. If you're not a reader, they have it in an audio book, too, and you can just listen to it. Uh, but in that book, John Ortberg says this, hurry is the great enemy of our souls in our day. Hurry is the great enemy of our souls in our day. Being busy is mostly a condition of our outer world. It's having many things to do, but being hurried is a problem of the soul. It's being so preoccupied with myself and what myself has to do that I am no longer able to be fully present with God and fully present with you. Hurry is the enemy of our souls because it diminishes our capacity to love and hinders our ability to invest in the things that actually nurture our soul, that help our souls to thrive and give us vitality. But here's the tricky thing about hurry. The tricky thing about hurry is often the things in our life, uh, the things that we are hurrying to, the, the stuff we stack our schedules with, the things that we're involved in, are good, right? Like they're good things. If you looked at each of those pieces on their own, they're things that you would categorize as good, as things that are, are beneficial to us or to our lives or to our kids. Like they're good things, that's what's so hard about hurry, and that's what's so deceptive about hurry is we find ourselves caught up in this again and again and again because we see all these good things that we think we should do, that we're expected to do, that we want to do. But here's the problem. These good things in our life, if they cause us to hurry, the good things in our life can become bad things if they cause us to sacrifice the best things. That's one of those things I probably should have put on a slide I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be real with you. Like, this sermon troubled me. I told you that. And I've been working on this up until, like, right now. This is one of the things I would have put on a slide. So I'm going to say it again. The good things in our life become the bad things when they require us to sacrifice the best things. So all of these good things we put in our life, all these good things that we try to surround ourselves with, that we try to be involved in, if it's requiring us to sacrifice the best things in our life, the, the life-giving things, the soul-nurturing things, then those good things become bad things. We can look to Scripture to see this, and that's what we're going to do because we're in a church. And so... Uh, <laughs> throughout Scripture we find this. Jesus is amazing at this like Jesus is constantly going off by himself to pray uh, going away from crowds Jesus an incredibly busy person always seemed to make room always seemed to create space for those important relationships in his life to be with God to be with his disciples and to have his capacity to reach out and love all around him and he was able to do that because he kept all of that in balance. He understood what his life and what his soul needed. And, and, and you can see that throughout the Gospels. One of my favorite instances of this is in Mark chapter 6. You don't have to turn there. You can if you want. But you can just write this down to look up later. This is for real in the Bible. Uh, so Jesus was talking to his disciples and like telling them to go out and do the things that he does, right? Heal people and teach the people and do all these really great ministry things. Go out and minister to people and the disciples do that and then here in verse 31 of chapter 6 then because so many people were coming and going that they the disciples did not even have a chance to eat so many people they were doing such good ministry and so much ministry they didn't even have time to eat time to care for themselves at all so he Jesus said to them come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest 
Jesus sees them, and he sees their life kind of spinning out of control. And Jesus says, this is all really good, and we're going to do a lot more of this. Trust me. But right now, I need you to rest. I need you to refuel. You can't just give and 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 go and go and go. we got to rest. But that's not what we're going to work on today. We're going to look at Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. This is a story of uh, two women named Mary and Martha. I know some of you are familiar with that story. Uh, We're going to take a look at that real quick and see what this has to say for us uh, today in our hurried lives. What you need to know about this story is that it comes right after Jesus telling the parable of a good Samaritan. A parable about extreme hospitality from an extremely unlikely source, right? Somebody who goes out of their way and does an incredible amount of stuff to care for this person who is hurt, right? They, they, they pour out so much, just extreme hospitality. And Jesus is saying, because he's trying to answer the question, like, who's my neighbor, right? Like, how do we love God and how do we love others? Well, just like the Samaritan did in this story, right? That we just pour ourselves out for others. Extreme hospitality. So we have here, right after that, uh, Jesus uh, in this story with Mary and Martha. So here in verse 38, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. This is custom. You have a guest in your home, and you want that home to look like it's nice, right? You do this. When you have people, you have family or friends coming over, you don't want your house to look like it's been lived in. Like, that's not appropriate. Like, you want people to come in, and it should look like a model home, right? It should look like we all just sit very neatly on the couch and just stare at the wall. It should look like Chip and Joanna live at your house, right, for those of you that know what that is, right? Like, you, you, it should look, it should be perfect. We want to project what our life, what we wish our life was like, right? Like, this is what we wish. This is how clean and tidy we wish it was, right? And when they get there, you want everything to be right, right? Like, you, you have, like, a seven-course meal planned out, and you, and you have uh, this special lemonade with, like, mint and, like, strawberries in it or something, and something you saw on Pinterest. And, like, you, you're, you're putting all this stuff together, and here are these guests in your home, and you're so busy making the evening perfect that you're not even spending time with them. You felt that, right? Yeah, I know you have. Like, you felt that before. You understand, what the, you understand Martha. Martha's been so criminalized in this story, I think. I get Martha. Like, I understand this, this desire and this willingness to, 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 uh, to serve in such a way and to project something about my life and to work and have that, have that work that I do uh, communicate, the val- communicate my value to you. So here we have Martha distracted by all these preparations. Jesus is in her home, but she is doing a good thing here. This is what you're supposed to do. When you have guests in your home, you're supposed to prepare dinner. You're supposed to clean up. You're supposed to, and especially if you have Jesus in your house, like you're supposed to have all of everything perfect. And this is what Martha's doing. Martha's doing a good thing here, right? And she came to him, Jesus, and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Don't you care that I've been dropping pans in here for like 30 minutes and nobody has come to check on me? Don't you care that she has ignored every plea from me from the kitchen for her to come help me? Don't you care that my deadbeat sister is just sitting around the living room while I am actually doing all the work around here? Jesus, don't you care that I care about you so much? That I care about you so much that I'm working so hard. I'm doing so many things. 
And she's doing nothing. Jesus, tell her to help me. Tell her to help me. And then Jesus answered, Martha, Martha, Martha. What a great job you're doing. I'm so glad you have spent all your time away from me. I've come all this way and I was going to judge your life based on the cleanliness of your house. I was going to judge you, Martha, to see how hard you would work, to see if you would earn it. I'm so glad that you have. Mary, go help your sister. No, that's not how the scripture goes. (laughs) Verse 41, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. You are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. See, what was needed most for Martha was her presence. It wasn't her work, it wasn't the preparations, although those were good. That's what she should have done. But what was needed most was her presence. That's what Jesus wanted. He didn't care if the house was spick and span. He didn't care that there were appetizers or lemonade. He wanted Martha just to be there and spend time together. When our life is hurried, our life is hurried, it's the things that matter the most that suffer first. When our life is hurried, it's the things that matter the most that suffer first. Have you noticed if I, can be, if I can be open, um, like I would categorize my life as busy right now. Uh, there, there are many areas, many roles that I play, um, and, and I don't tell you this because um, this isn't a sob story. Just I want you to know that life can be, be busy sometimes. Like I'm a full-time dad and husband, a uh, full-time pastor, and, and a full-time student. Uh, those are the three main categories in my life. Those are the three biggest um, uh, the things that demand the most of, of my time and my attention and the things that I want to give myself to the most, um, I do. And, and, and I'm somebody who likes to try really hard. Uh, I, I, I love being your pastor and I love serving this church. I love being a husband and a father. I love being a student. I've told you that. I'm a nerd. Like, I love to learn. Like, I love all this stuff. And there was a time in my life where I thought I could give the best of me to all of those things. I thought I could give the best of me to all of those things. And what I realized is when I did that, the thing that mattered the most to me, my wife and my son, were the first ones to suffer. Were the first ones to suffer. So I had to get very real with myself, and I had to be very open to listening to the struggle of my wife uh, and my kid and, and me being absent and me always being somewhere else and always looking to the next thing and always being present elsewhere, not present with them. I had to be very real. I had to be very open to listening to that. And one of the things I had to begin to understand within myself is that as much as I love school, it is not going to get my best. It's not going to get my best. School is good, and I love to learn, but I cannot give it everything I have. That I got to give everything I have to the things that are the most important, the best things. I must choose better not just good. So I go to class, and I absorb, and I learn. But when I write my papers, 
we'll like aim right at a B plus. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's, but I'm t- that, that, that was so painful for me to start because I care what my professors think. I care that they think I'm smart. I care that they think that I listen to them. I care deeply about that. I care about giving it my all when I can. I care about spilling out all, all of the stuff that I've learned and all the wittiness that I have on a paper, and I, and I hope I uh, amuse uh, and maybe enlighten my professors a little bit. I don't know. Like, you know, a guy can dream. I, I hope all those things, but what happens is if I really want to achieve that, it's going to come at the sacrifice of the best things in my life, and I can't do that. Don't tell my professors. I can't do that, though. I can't. So even if I'm in a busy season, I have to choose what's best. And I have to commit myself to be unhurried with what's best. To be fully present with what's best. And if I have to be hurried anywhere in my life, it's going to be on the things that matter the least. They get the least of me. They get the least of my attention. I can't give them my best anymore. Because I'm not willing to sacrifice what is best in my life. I say that because I know some of you are just in a busy season. Many of us have quite a bit of control over our busyness, more control than we think. Some things that we don't think are choices that we have to make, things that just we feel like happen to us, we actually have a lot of control over. It just takes some discipline. It takes some courage to really step into that. Um, But I also know that for some of us that there are seasons in our life or times in our life when busyness is not our choice. Business is not our choice. Uh, I've, I've known many single parents that are doing everything they can to work as hard as they can so that they can uh, take care of their kids, put food on the table, get them to where they need to be, play with them, be the fun parent, but also be uh, the disciplinarian, but also make money and, and, and find some sleep somewhere along the way. I, I've, known, I've known families who are dealing with somebody who is very ill, and between doctor's visits and, and school and, and, and trying to find money to pay for these doctors, I mean, that life is just crazy and busy and chaotic. And sometimes you can't help it. But even in the midst of busyness, we can carve out space to be unhurried with that which is best in our life. And that requires us to understand, to be in dialogue with our family and with our loved ones about what is primary in our life. What is the best thing in our life? And that's the thing we don't sacrifice. That's the thing we make space for. That's the thing we make room for because that is the most important thing. And we are unwilling to sacrifice that in the name of hurry or busy anymore. That's the thing that gets our best. Because it is, it is the best for us. John Ortberg, the guy that I, I read that quote from earlier, uh, he was going to do a lecture uh, on spiritual health. And he had called his mentor and asked, what do I need to do to be spiritually healthy? Fairly broad question. But for our purposes, what do I need to do to declutter, to make space in my life? And his mentor responded to him. His name was Dallas Willard. Responded with, You need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Hurry is the great enemy of our souls because we think we're actually adding to our life, but hurry actually subtracts. 
It takes away our ability to be present to the life that is sitting right there in front of us. It diminishes our capacity to love ourselves, to love others, and to love God. And it steals away those things that are most important to us. I can't begin to get up here and diagnose the things for you or how to begin to address the hurry in your life because it could be so many things. But to know, to know deep down that what God desires most for us is to savor this one life we have, to live it to its fullest, to be fully present and not always trying to escape your current moment to the next, but to actually live this gift of life every minute of the day and to give the best of ourselves to the best parts of our life, our family, our friends, and most importantly, God. If we want to make space in our cluttered and chaotic world, one thing that we must do is eliminate hurry. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you in this moment confessing our hurriedness, confessing not our willingness, not our desire, but our tendency, God, to rush through life, to overcrowd our schedules, God, to be undisciplined with our time, to diminish our capacity to love for the sake of getting it all done. God, we release that to you now. It's not going to be easy, God, but we are inviting you in. Search our souls. Search our spirit, God. Make clear to us that which is best in our life. The places where you are calling us out of our productivity to just sit with you to be still, to be at your feet, God. Open our eyes to those around us that we have sacrificed on the altar of busyness and hurriness, God. May we repent from our ways, turn away from that old life and into you, giving the best of us to that which is best in our lives so that our souls are no longer dried up but are nourished and are thriving once again. It's in your name we pray. Amen.